spiritual formation may be taught at church, um, but it is not the primary uh, place for, uh, for it to happen. Uh, it's not in your Sunday school classes. It's not in your small groups. It's not even in your daily devotional. No, it happens at work. It happens at school. Uh, it happens at the restaurants. Uh, it happens in our community. It happens in your relationships. So you learn patience uh, when you're working with uh, customer service. Ever, you know, try to call or use an online chat, and uh, it's frustrating sometimes. Uh, you learn patience from difficult customers, maybe if you're in sales, um, or with patients if you're in the, in the medical uh, uh, field, or, um, or with students if you're uh, in, in education. Um, you learn patience from a dry summer. I know the farmers uh, really had to be patient uh, this, uh, this past couple months here. You learn perseverance not from a sermon, but from changing diapers and doing your homework and dealing with crying babies. Tim McGuire, former editor of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, was speaking at a seminar entitled Faith, Religion, and Values. And he said this. He said, work is brutal. Work is a four-letter word. Most people don't think that work could possibly have anything to do with spirituality. They assume that these two worlds cannot mesh. But if we bring our souls to work, then we can transform our work. That is when our work begins to transform us. The problem for most people is that their work transforms them into something bad, something bitter and tired and broken. Well, if that's the case, uh, my goal in our work series is not to teach patience or, or perseverance, but to see what the Bible teaches us about work how to view it and how to understand it and appreciate it and what's the purpose in it, then maybe we will become more like Jesus even through our work. Last week, um, we looked at this idea that, that God worked first and then he set the example for us to work. God worked and then we worked. Same, same idea, um, but we broke it uh, like everything else uh, through our sinful nature. We broke it, and so God redeemed it. And this is the power of the gospel, to think that, you know, the gospel is not just for Sunday morning and, and just for those, those conversations talking about eternity, but the gospel also changes things today. God redeemed our work. Uh, the gospel is the good news of Jesus that you don't have to work uh, to, uh, for his approval. You don't have to work to, to win God's favor. He did that for us, uh, and his approval is all we need. And so when we start to look at work that way, then it changes everything. Well, now, though, we're still in this tension of work being good or bad. I mean, sometimes there's joy, sometimes there's challenges. Uh, work is a way to support yourself and, and others. We know this, um, but it is so much more. Work is a command from God. We're called to be productive with our lives. And, and I think sometimes uh, even just talking through this work, um, it might not feel the same for everyone. It, it, it does, it's different maybe for someone who's retired or, or someone who's a, a stay-at-home per, uh, parent, or, um, or someone who is uh, self-employed and you don't have bosses maybe, or everyone's your boss. Uh, some people don't need a paycheck anymore. But the question I want to ask today is, how are we going to be productive with our lives? J. Oswald Sanders was nearing his 90th birthday when he died. He was working on his last book. Before he was 50, though, he suffered from arthritis so badly that he couldn't get out of bed. I mean, it was very tough for him. He could have retired then, but he didn't. At the age of 50, he left his career as an attorney in New Zealand, uh, and he started to lead the China Inland Mission, which is now called the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And he, as, he, as he entered into his second career, uh, his arthritis actually went away. But after several years of leading that mission, he retired again, only to, to, uh, to lead a Christian college. Uh, then he retired again. 
a widower twice. Uh, he certainly deserved rest. But rather than taking it easy, he spent the next 20 years speaking at over, at over, uh, around the world over 300 times per year. Being productive doesn't stop, not to earn anything, uh, but because we're on a mission field, because we're serving God. And that doesn't stop even when we stop working. I knew a couple from Decatur, uh, Jim and Lois uh, were their names, uh, and they would actually move cars for my, for my dad. Uh, he would uh, buy them at auctions or other dealerships, and he had to get people to, to move the cars instead of a semi, and he paid these people, and they never talked about this, they never told me this, but he told me later, because um, I said, do they really need to work anymore? Uh, I mean, they were, I'm going to say they were late 80s, maybe even close to, maybe it had been 90 at that point. And I said, they don't need to work, do they? And uh, he said, no, every penny that they make here goes to their church. They donated. Like, they, they didn't need to. They, they just decided that they, they wanted to be productive. I, I know a lot of, a lot of you um, are serving in your retirement years. Uh, some away from the church and the community, serving your families, um, maybe, uh, maybe helping other, other people, your neighbors and things like that. Uh, but I think about what's done by retired people in this church. Uh, the grass is mowed by a retired person. The flowers are planted and watered by retired people. Uh, a, couple, um, a couple of our elders are retired. Our seniors ministry is run by retired people. Um, the, the fellowship ministry, some of the uh, Sunday school teachers. I, I might be missing some, our greeters. I, I, just, I, can, I look around and I can see uh, a lot of you are retired and a lot of you are doing things for the church and probably outside of the church as well. Um, I think about students. How can they be productive? Stay-at-home parents. See, people working one job and then, and then coming in and volunteering later. I know that happened just this last week. Uh, we had a big celebration of life over there, and, and I know some of you uh, had to wake up really early the next day and just, just keep going. This isn't a black and white issue. It's not you have to have a job and receive a paycheck or not. That's not what this is about. This is about making a difference in the world, our mission field. Uh, Leland Riken, author at, and, and Wheaton College professor, said earlier in the century, someone claimed that we work at our play and play at our work. Today, the confusion has deepened. We worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. It's a challenge. It really is. Fortunately, we have some direction. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he wrote a letter to a church in Thessalonica. He actually, we have two of his letters that he wrote there. And uh, this, this helps us to understand what's the point of work. Uh, so I'm just going to start in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. It says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you, you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat." We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. 
yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. All right, this sounds pretty harsh. Um, This is a command, though, not a suggestion. See, Paul had already written a letter uh, which is First Thessalonians, the first letter he sent to this, uh, this, these believers in Thessalonica. And, and at that point, he said, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. It was a warning at that point. They didn't listen. They didn't take it to heart. They didn't obey it. And so now Paul says, Okay, if someone's not going to work, if they're not going to be productive, then cut them off from the life of the church. I mean, this was very intense. He didn't want to lose them. He actually says so that they would feel ashamed. He wanted, he wanted them to know this is a really serious issue, and there's a reason for it. He says, if they're not going to work, then don't let them eat. The church and its individuals can be taken advantage of really easily. Uh, and I really think this is what, uh, a lot of what this was about. Um, people are generous. I think someone might look at the church and say, well, they're supposed to help us. And uh, we get calls all the time, people asking for money, and, and some people need it, and some people don't. And sometimes it's hard to, to decide, well, do they really need it? Or it, it's tough. And, and I think someone might look at, you know, uh, uh, maybe a retired person and say, well, they're so kind and have such a soft heart, and, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if they'll help me out instead of going to work. It wasn't about people who couldn't work. Some people are in need. Uh, this, this is about people who were unwilling to work, those people that had the opportunity, and they could. Some people can't, temporarily or long-term. Uh, it's not about that. This is about people who are just choosing to, uh, to uh, take advantage of the church and other people's generosity. And so why do we work? That's the question, then. Um, first thing from this text, to avoid being idle and disruptive. Some of the best complainers that I know are are people who are not working. Um, They're really good at telling others how to do it. They were disruptive. They were getting other people's business all the time. They they were idle. They had nothing to worry about, no stress. They were fine. And so they were getting involved in other people's lives and telling them how to do things. He says, this isn't going to work. He says says, uh, from verse 8, to avoid being a burden on others. I mean, what if, what if we as a church could just focus on real needs? What if we could share the gospel and, and not worry about the people who are, are just being takers uh, because uh, uh, they want to be, they don't want to work? Um, verse 9, to set an example. I mean, think about the examples that you set uh, for your kids and your grandkids, and uh, a lot of it has to do with working and being productive, uh, not taking, uh, taking advantage of others. Verse 12, to pay your own way. All this is the same idea. Paul wrote another letter in, in Gala- in Gal- or to uh, the church in Galatia. It's Galatians 5. And I know I, I shared this, maybe even, I think it was last summer actually. Um, but verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will f- fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5, For each one should carry their own load. And, and this idea, and I, I know I shared it, and I think I maybe, I think, I think I used you as an example here. Um, we're supposed to carry our own backpacks, basically. If you have a backpack, you put it on, right? Every, just imagine every person in here has their own backpack, and, and I can carry mine. But, but I know that, like, Myron's carrying his, and he's doing a pretty good job, and he's nice. And so I say, hey, could you carry my backpack for a little bit? And he does. And, and then you know what happens. Then Heather sees, well, he's, he's carrying those two, so, I mean, he might, might as well just carry another one, and I can relax a little. And so she passes her backpack off, and, and now Myron's carrying three, and, you know, you're gonna, everyone's going to ask him until, until he can't anymore. 
and you see those people that are just loving and generous, and they're carrying everyone else's burdens, and they're stressed out, and, and, but they're not going to stop because they, this is what Jesus wants us to do. And, and, and then you got four other people doing nothing. That's not the example. That's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus did what he was supposed to do. Uh, I mean, he, he died on the cross for us. No one else could do it. He did it. That's this, the, the wording is a little bit less intense here, what, what Paul says, though, when he says to, care, uh, to help others um, or to carry each other's burdens. I heard this example about, okay, I, I have a refrigerator that I have to carry, and so I can ask Myron to help me carry the refrigerator, and that's not wrong. I, he's going to help me until I'm done carrying it. Now, this isn't about backpacks and the refrigerators. This is about me um, carrying my own burden and when I need help to go to someone, and when I don't need help anymore, let them go help someone else because of their generosity. That's how the church has to operate. But when you have some people who are just sucking the life out of everyone and out of the church, and it's always about them, and, and they're so, uh, everything's harder for them, and their life's harder than everyone else's, it might be for a little while. But when it's not, then stop trying to take from everyone. This is Paul's example here from, um, if, if, they're, if they're not going to work, if they're not gonna, don't, even, don't even help, don't give them food. They can work for it. It doesn't always feel like the Christian thing to do, but this is setting appropriate boundaries, and this is the loving thing to do. Verse 13, he, he basically wraps it all up. It's to do good. We're productive. We work to do, to do good. Thousands of letters uh, sent each year to God end up in, in the sorting office in Jerusalem. Uh, the letters arrive from all over the world in the city's undeliverable mail department. We have hundreds of thousands of letters sent either to God or Jesus Christ, and for some reason they come to Jerusalem, said the post office spokesman. In one letter, an, Isra an Israeli man asked God for 5,000 shekels, which at the time was equal to $1,000, to ease his poverty. Postal workers were so moved by this that they sent him 4,300 shekels. But after a month, the same person wrote again to God, but this time he said, Thank you, God, for the contribution but next time, please don't send it through the postmen. They're thieves. They stole 7,000 shekels. Get it? Because 5,000 and then, uh, never mind. I thought it was funny when I read it. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, I want to just summarize this all because last week, this week runs together so much. Uh, we don't find our identity in work. It's not who we are. Uh, most of us have to do it and God commands it. But from our scripture today, we see that there's a big reason for it, and it's beneficial to the church and to the community and to others. But to personalize this, I think I want to look at an Old Testament passage and present some questions that you can ask yourself, because a lot of people have to work. A lot of people don't want to be at their jobs. But Ecclesiastes 3, 12, and 13 says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And so, first question, does this job provide enough to meet my needs? And, and as long as the answer is, is, uh, is yes, um, then salary shouldn't be a determining factor. I, I, think, I think we all know this. If you've worked for a while, if you're just taking the job because it pays more than the other one, um, probably setting yourself up for misery in some way. Next question, does this job give me the opportunity to do good? This is a tough one. 
Um, does, does your job make it possible for you to do good to others? Well, first, on the, on the other side, if it's a job that requires you to oppress people or to be dishonest or take advantage of others, then either quit the job or find a new way of doing it. Um, but it doesn't always happen that way. There, there are other ways that we can, we can do good through our work. Uh, some people's jobs are ser- service-oriented, and you go to work, and you, I'm helping this person today. Maybe you're a nurse uh, or a teacher, and you're thinking, okay, I can help these people every day. But maybe you work a job that you don't even talk to people, and you think, well, how can I actually love people through this? Well, it might mean that you, that you use your, uh, your finances to donate somewhere or um, that you work your job and it provides for you, and then you use your free time to serve somewhere. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. A, a good biblical example is the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, this letter that we looked at today. He was an apostle. He went around, he started churches. He was a church planner, basically. He shared the gospel everywhere. But periodically, we see that he was also a tent maker. Sometimes he would work just to finance his ministry. Martin Luther was approached by a, a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. And uh, Luther asked him, he said, well, what's your, what's your job now? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. Luther said, well, then, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. He didn't tell him to go make Christian shoes. He didn't tell him to leave the shoe business and to become a monk or a missionary. See, as Christians, we can serve God in a number of ways. We just have to, we have to be willing to. We have to be open to it. We have to be obedient. When God, when God places something on our heart, we, say, we shouldn't just say, well, that's, that's too bad for them. I'm sorry they have to go through that. There's nothing I can do. Maybe there is. Maybe there is something that you can do. Just going to work and knowing that God's your boss, I think, would, would really uh, help us to, uh, to see this in a new way. And then the last question, does this job give you a sense of fulfillment? I know there are parts of work that are tedious and frustrating and stressful and monotonous and demanding and even boring, but overall, do you feel like the job that you have or the role that that you have, the place that you're volunteering, is, is this something that you're like, I can do this and I'm serving God and I'm leading people to know Jesus better? And if that's the case, keep doing it. In 2013, at a commencement speech at MIT, Drew Houston, the founder of Dropbox, he said, when I think about it, the happiest and most successful people I know don't, don't just love what they do. They're obsessed with solving an important problem, something that matters to them. They remind me of a dog chasing a tennis ball, he says. Their eyes go a little crazy. The leash snaps, and they go bounding off, plowing through whatever gets in the way. So it's not about pushing yourself, he says. It's about finding your tennis ball. What's the thing that pulls you? So what is your tennis ball? I just wanted to see if anyone would be like a dog and chase the tennis ball. No one? Okay, I'll go, I'll go get that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> I think about the many great examples in the Bible. There are a lot of people that we read about in Scripture. And, and when, we, when we see these names, we think, hero of the faith. These people were, they were doing great things through, uh, through God. Um, some of these people were just doing what they needed to eat. They were just doing what they needed to provide for their families. They were doing what they needed for safety because it was necessary. Um, they, they didn't just sit around and wait and hope for, for God to use them in some big way, uh, praying for it, God use me, and then just sitting and doing nothing until they saw that, that amazing opportunity. They were living faithful in their daily lives. People just like us. 
People like Moses. You think Moses, he's, he's, you know, he wrote much of the Bible. This guy's a hero. Well, yeah, we might look at him as doing some great things, but, but when God spoke to him at the, the burning bush, he was tending his father-in-law's flock. He was out just, just working uh, for his father-in-law. David, same thing. He was working for his dad. He was taking care of his sheep and through that training, and then he takes his brother's lunch, and he sees a, uh, a giant uh, Goliath making fun of his God, and he used his training from his work. It wasn't like he just sat back for years and thought, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm training for God uh, to use me to kill a giant. He was just going to work, being faithful, being obedient. See, work is an act of faith. In Hebrews 11, there are, there are so many examples of, of people being faithful in their work, just in their relationships, just day-to-day living. Uh, they're all named. I'm not going to read all of them. But then it says this in verse 13. All these people were, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. And what more shall I say? I do not have uh, have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel, the prophets, uh, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Things, think about those things. They were working. They were just doing their jobs. Some of these are pretty big. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. So many of these people, these examples that we read, Hebrews 11, the, what we call the Faith Hall of Fame, we think they're, they're the ones that did these great things, but they didn't. They really didn't. They were, doing, they were doing one thing. They were being obedient to God. He did the great things. They didn't bring people back to, uh, to life. He did. They didn't shut the mouth of the lion. He did. This was just them being faithful and obedient, really probably in what you would say was their day-to-day lives, and God worked through that. When we work, we're actually giving God an opportunity to work through our lives. When we just sit back and do nothing, I don't know if it's there the same way. I know God can work through it. I think he's more willing when we show that we're obedient and faithful. Verse 39, these were all commanded for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Sometimes we might think our our work is tough and our area of service and volunteering and it's just too much. Now these people, they they worked and they lived by faith, sometimes in in terrible circumstances. I mean, they were facing death. They could do it because they lived for something better. Work is just one little area of our life that we can use for a mission field because we know there's something better. We know of this, this heavenly country it speaks about. Eternity, life with Jesus because of the work that he did. So they lived for eternity. That's the same mindset that we can have every day in in our lives, the good ones and the bad ones, the hard ones, the easy ones, knowing that this is only a short time and God has offered us something better. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you first um, for what you've promised us. Uh, You have offered us new life uh, through your son Jesus. 
uh, taking our place on the cross, taking our sin, and, and giving us uh, hope, um, giving us um, something to believe in and something to live for. And so I pray in our daily lives, uh, whether it's at work or at home, uh, with other people or all alone, uh, that you would help us to be productive, not to find our identity, um, but because we want others to know about this thing that is uh, recorded as something better. And we know it's not just a little better, but it's perfect and it's forever. And it's with you and it's because of you. And so we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.